Welcome to Crypto Talk Radio, the podcast for everyday investors like you. Visit us on the web at CryptoTalkRadio.net. And now, here's your host, Leister. Thank you for that, Bailey, and welcome everybody out there in Crypto Talk Radio, found at CryptoTalkRadio.net. You know, it's a struggle. Today's episode is a struggle, folks. My name is Leister. I am your host. Welcome or welcome back, depending on the situation. Today's episode is a struggle, not for personal reasons, because of what I saw. A lot happened. So much happened, it's not going to be covered in one episode, nor am I inclined to talk about some of them, but the problem is I kind of have a moral obligation to speak about some of them that may affect you and your portfolio because you're a listener of the show, and I appreciate you for doing that. That means I've got to talk about disgusting, distasteful, arguably silly nonsense at times. and I. That's what bothers me. It doesn't stress me or any of that. It just, I don't like sharing those, that garbage that's out there in crypto. I try to stay away from the garbage. I try to stay away from the outlaw mud show, you know, cesspool that is cryptocurrency underbelly. But the problem is, again, it may affect your portfolio and it would be remiss for me not to share what I do or don't know. So I am going to be speaking about some topics that are, again, I don't want to speak about but I feel an obligation to speak about them. They are crypto related. So don't feel like they're not. They are. I wish they weren't because they shouldn't be. They're better suited for Jerry Springer. However, let's dig in. I am, I'm going to skip preface. I'm going to jump to numbers and then we'll get in this business. So I'm on coindesk.com zoom out to the month chart and I'm targeting Ethereum. And we saw a, a run up an unusual run up. It was a pretty significant run up. 24-hour chart, 1750 on the low end, 1850 on the high end, currently hovering about the 1800 mark on a slight upward trend. I wouldn't say it's a great upward trend, but a slight upward trend. And you might have been wondering what was triggering this. Well, a couple of things happened. There's two specific events I can, in my mind, think of that might have contributed to some of this. Number one, overseas, they were going to be approving a Bitcoin ETF, and so that caused a bit of a pump. And then locally... On a site, DTCC, I'm not going to dig into that, but DTCC is a site for, it lists various, you know, proposed securities, da, 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 and the and Bitcoin ETF for the United States was listed at a point. These two factors caused the run-up that we saw. Now, you might have noticed after the run-up, there was a bit of a crap down. It didn't go all the way down, but it went down unexpectedly after a pretty amazing bull run. What happened is that listing got yanked from the site and nobody knew why. And I saw on Twitter, some person, he called it a, basically a pump and dump. And effectively, that's what it is. I, I believe that was strategic. I honestly believe that that was intentional. They intended to cause a pump and dump. They intended to, to cause essentially manipulation with cryptocurrency. And I do believe somebody's playing with the numbers because there's no logical reason. We're talking about a site that's run by a government entity at the end of the day. And so... I don't buy this narrative that just this one, all of a random sudden, gets listed and then removed. I don't buy it. Now, of course, I'm tinfoiling that, but I'm going to hold to what I believe. So it's trending somewhat back up again because it got listed back on the site after being removed. So it is going on the upward trend again, but nowhere near the velocity that we saw earlier this morning. The velocity we saw earlier this morning was nuts. Absolute nuts. I, I said on Twitter slash X, that white bone, 
I, you know, I have enough of a bone stake that every time it jumps by one penny, I literally make hundreds of dollars. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say that I make hundreds of freaking dollars for every penny that bone goes up. Well, let's put it in a macro level. Bone was at one point around a dollar 70, a dollar 80 currently trending just shy of 80 cents. So you figure a two X from where it is, but hundreds of dollars for every penny, right? So 70 cents ish, let's say minimum 70 cents, 80 cents, 90 cents times these hundreds of dollars. And it's the first of the month, wake up, you know, so cash your checks and come up because that's what it is, is you can cash it. And that's just raw profit. Speaking of raw profit, I think it's very important for anybody listening to Michelle here at CryptoTalkRadio.net. These types of disruptions, this type of gamesmanship that's happening, this type of up and down weirdness, unexpected pumps, unexpected craps is why I'm going to emphasize yet again and will continue to do so. I would recommend you train yourself to take profits. Taking profits isn't hard. It simply means identify, and I'll talk about this on a future episode, probably Thursday's episode. Identify your basis. Identify how much money you're okay leaving in a certain cryptocurrency. And hopefully you have a diverse portfolio, so you have multiple of them. Identify how much money you're okay leaving in any one of them. When it profits, take those profits. When it goes down, buy in to get to that basis level. That's the simplified version of what I describe when I say identify your basis is simply, and taking profits is simply when you hit a level. Let's say your level is $200. I'll throw a number. It goes up to 250. Take the 50 as profit. Goes up another 50. Take the 50 as profit. Goes up another 50. Take the 50 as profit. At some point, you're going to run out of tokens, right? But it's going to go invariably go back down. So when it goes back down, you buy back in until you hit to the 200 mark. Right. So if it goes down to 150, you buy a 50, goes down 150, you buy 50 until you're back to 200. And you might think that you're essentially washing the same money in a sense. Yes. But depending on which cryptocurrency it is, you might end up, you might end up with more tokens when you buy back in off the dip, depending on what the dip was. Right. And when you take profits, the profit run up might be more substantial than the dip down certain tokens don't dip to a significant degree. They dip like once or twice or go down to a, a reasonable level, but they don't go all the way down to like base, like a liberal or something. But yet they'll have major climbs because let's say they have a extreme inventory or there's just a lot of volatility like a Pepe, right? Pepe right now arguably could drop two zeros and still be comfortable because you think about its supply of trillions of tokens is very close to what SHIB's got. Well, SHIB at its peak got all the way up to, I believe, four zeros or three zeros. Pepe, I think, is hovering around six. So you figure Pepe's got to be able to hit that number, especially with the level of interest that was in it. So I'm saying it's, it is a bit of gamesmanship with the numbers when you learn how to take profits when the profits are available to you. And it is a timing thing and you have to be watching it. That's why you should set up your alerts on your wallet to make sure that you're aware when there's a run-up and it's enough that it's worth taking profits. If you're in the exchanges and you're trading, you can set up a limit order or set some bots or do something else so it monitors it for you. You are going to miss out on some measure of profit if you're not staring at it at the time. Let's say you are to say you work outdoors or something, right? You're, you may miss it. If you do the automations, it can do it for you. I'm just simply emphasizing it is vital. I think that you take profits for these things because these are the times when you can get profit that you can retain as opposed to, in my opinion, 
just sitting on it, hoping it goes to the moon. Do, do. It might, but, and maybe that's your strategy and that's cool, but these kinds of disruptors will come into play and all they're going to do is frustrate you. So that's how I feel about it. I still think we have a strong future ahead of us, but as I've said, I'm holding to 2024. And that's not saying that the run-ups are, you know, fake. They're not fake. Trust me. I made a lot of profit this most recent run-up, but the, the level of interest has now tapered off. We lost a pivotal moment in a way. And I'll, I'll, I parallel to the stock market on the stock market side. If you have an extremely volatile asset that's being traded, what happens is the stock exchange, they actually will put a halt on the trading and they'll stop the ability to do trades because what they're doing is they're stopping extreme volatility. I'm going to Tim Follett and say that this whole business of yanking it was their attempt to do the same thing because again, there was no logical reason to do it. And as you, if you notice on the numbers and the volume counts, everything is now rock bottom. Why? Because people are tentative. People are hesitating. People are no longer taking the chances that they did before to just kind of run it up and keep it going off of FOMO, off the green candles. So it is possible. I can't say for sure. I'm just tinfoiling. It is possible that this was their way of doing the same halting strategy on cryptocurrency that they would normally do on the stock market just by way of people's fear. They're playing on people's fear by, okay, we're going to yank that out of there. And now people think, okay, that means the run-up was a scam or it was a pump and dump where they're trying to take money from people. And so then they're hesitant to buy in, which halts the run-up. That's not going to stop until we get people understanding these kind of exploitative strategies. They're all over the place, which is why I advocate that you take profits because the profits are always going to be there. Even when you have these exploitative strategies, you can take profits off of those run-ups when they happen. This is all my opinion, and I stick to this. Now, let's talk about a couple of other things with this whole business that I, I wanted to say to last, and I may put it first. I don't know. So two things. Number one, Safarium. Safarium, as in the word safe, R-E-U-M. Safarium is a token that I had never heard of. Thank goodness. Never heard of it, but some of them, some of you may have been and may have been in it. And I'm sorry if you were in it as it most recently rug pulled. And I think the count got up to somewhere in the neighborhood of 1100 ETH all told. And apparently, again, I wasn't in this, but apparently there were two different tokens at play. There's a Safarium and a safe, a safe something. I don't know what it is. Safe pal, something not safe pal, but whatever. There's some other token and somehow they worked it together and rug pulled them both. And allegedly there was like five audits and all this assurance of a thing that was going to be the safest project out there and a significant number of influencers heavily shilling it. So you're wondering how the hell is it that I didn't know about it? The reason is because I don't live on X or Twitter or social media. I go on social media to update you guys or update for people listen to the podcasts or, you know, do a quick response to something. I don't live on it like most people do. I don't even have a smartphone. That's why I'm saying I don't. I have a computer. I actually just had to argue with Amazon because they're like, yeah, send it your cell phone. We can send you a text. Doop, doop, doop. And I'm like, no. What are you trying to do? We need to verify. Great. Send me an email. I'll, I'll get it on my email. I'll click the thing and it'll verify the thing. And she was able to do the email. They don't even offer it as an option. You have to ask them for it. That kind of crap. I don't do social media. I don't do smartphones. I don't live on those screens like so many people do these days, which is, re which is why, ironically, the reason why 
I speak so well and I'm able to carry myself and I'm reasonably well-educated is because I don't focus on those distractions that are nothing more to the distractions. And the reason I'm going on a minor rant deviant is because that's number one, this and two, the other issue I'm going to talk about. But for this, that's why I didn't know about it. Even though influencers are talking about it, I avoid anything influencers are talking about because I don't live on Twitter. I don't live on X. I don't live on Facebook. I don't even have an Instagram. I don't care about social media. So I wasn't aware of this. And it was made aware to me after the fact, after the rug had pulled. Allegedly, there's a bunch of people that are well-known influencers at the higher level. You know, you're talking people that apparently made a lot of money on Doge and that kind of thing. And they're really well-known in the business. And they were really hyping it and shilling. I never saw any of this stuff. But <laughs> apparently, again, I didn't see this, but apparently a lot of people got ripped off by this one person who goes by the name of Slum Doge Millionaire. And the name is allegedly because I guess he had a stake of Doge and he had enough where he was able to become a millionaire. And so then he became this crypto influencer. It's kind of like BitBoy where, you know, you have a stake of cryptocurrency. It happens to make you a millionaire and then you start up a brand and same thing. And people are now calling him essentially a, a scammer. You know, he, all he does is shill rug pulls. I don't know all the ones that he's gone through, so I can't say for sure. I am saying what I know, which was, this one seemed to catch people off guard for one main reason, which is that it got listed on main exchanges. It got listed on, uh, in this case, it's an Ethereum token, but it got listed on, it was on Gate.io. I think it was on either Coinbase or it was on something. It was on some major exchanges somewhere else. And so people took this as assurance. It, so for, I don't know why. It, they took it as assurance that it's got to be all good even though it's like, that's not, that's not, you know, like squid game. Like it doesn't mean anything that you're on a major exchange. You can still rip the damn thing off. So I don't know. Now, apparently there was some sort of a gimmick on this. I don't know what the gimmick was. Cause again, I was not involved, but there was some sort of a gimmick with this business where it doesn't use blockchain at all. And somehow, somehow, I don't know the specifics. I didn't dig and I won't but somehow it was able to avoid some of the limitations of traditional blockchain. And by virtue of this, it didn't need to charge taxes, which for whatever reason was appealing to people enough that they would buy into it. And of course the number of audits and all this stuff caught people's eye and they bought in. And then of course there was the rug pull and it's a sad situation. I don't know how many zeros were lost or how much money was lost. I know it was over a million. So, so I wanted to use this time slot to talk about some of the fallacies. And the, I've talked about this before. And I don't remember if it was Squid Game or another one, but I've talked about this stuff before. There are three main fallacies with people that get in cryptocurrency, especially the new folks. Number one is this idea that if you have a renounced contract con, a token, that it's safer. It's not. Renouncing doesn't do anything for safety reasons beyond the fact that the owner whoever it was that, you know, built the contract cannot execute the functions of the contract. You can still rip somebody off irrespective of this. And I'll get to that in a second. The second is locked liquidity. The current narrative, and this has been the case for like two years now, the current narrative is that you always want to find projects that have locked liquidity. What we learned from Satama is that when this liquidity is locked, it hinders the ability for the developers to, to fix issues or do things with the, token project. The positive is that it keeps the owner away from it. 
I would argue that certain projects should have locked liquidity simply because we, we adamantly do not trust the developer. So like car salesmen on Seifu, as an example, Brian Saylor should always be in projects where the liquidity is locked and where the ownership is renounced because we can't trust him. It's not anything wrong with the project specifically. It's him. We know he's a cheat. We know he rips people off. So he should not have access to the funds in any form. He should not have access to the functions in any form. But it's a fallacy to assume that locked liquidity alone is going to keep your project safe. It's just simply a fallacy. That's what it is. The third, and I was reading an article the other day about this, that if it's audited, that somehow assures that it's safer. Here's the problem with audits. Number one, just because you're audited still does not negate the probability it could be ripped off. And I'll get to why here in a second. And it ultimately nullifies these three. The audit, there's, there's three different types of audits effectively. There's a technical audit as in I'm looking at the code and I'm looking for fundamental things that could cause a breach. There's performance type audits, which is I'm looking for your team to actually be performing some function of what not that's in benefit of the, 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 right. And I'm looking at the, that the code that is efficient and it's not doing unnecessary things and it's written according to standards and da, 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 da. then there's the kind of audit that I, I don't like, <laughs> which is more of a surface level. Hey, this contract itself is essentially, it's got these issues and they responded on the issues. They didn't fix it, but we're just surfacing and showing you what happened. It's, it's basically a waste of paper or digital paper. Even that I would, I would say there, there, first of all, there are projects that are certic audited that have rug pulled. There are dessert finance tokens that have rug pulled. The audit firm doesn't mean it's not going to cheat you. This is my resolution of this. The fallacy, the missing element is you always have to look at the fact that owning the tokens themselves can result in essentially a rug pull depending on how many they have and the fact that you don't know who got what. So picture a scenario, and this is not a real world. I'm just giving an example. Picture a scenario. Token developer has a great idea. They're going to spin up a new token project. They call 10 of their buddies. They say, you know what? I will give you a significant amount of tokens at a rock bottom price. So they're not giving them for free. They're, they're, they actually are selling them but at a rock bottom price, they can do that. There's ways to do this. Okay. Now they do a blitz. So telescam and Twitter and Facebook and Reddit, they do a blitz, you know, with all the, and then they find all these influencers to help the blitz and spread it to get as many people into the token as possible. Token then. So this, so this private sale that they've done, all these tokens are already sold and they tell you, yep, we did a private sale and do to do to do do. But what they don't tell you is who was in that private sale because it's private, right? They don't tell you who was in it. If they go on what I refer to as pink scam, AKA pink sale, I expose and I covered this a couple of times with a couple of projects. I covered it with stacked finance. I covered it with open stream world, Ascent protocol and initially tried this business, you know, forever financial freedom. There's so many projects that have launched on pink scam and have just shorted out and died. The flaw with pink scam is that they don't verify the data they're given and they claim they're descent as in, we have no control over this. We're out of this. So they, you can lie. You can lie about 
liquidity locks. You can lie about how many tokens the owner has. You can lie about the distribution. You can lie about the audits. You can lie about this and you just put it out there. It's, it's almost like a bulletin board. But because it's got so much notoriety by way of how many tokens have used it, it has a certain measure of, I would argue, undeserved credibility to it. But in every situation I've seen a token use pink scam, it has failed. Whether the failure was due to a, you know, they're, they're legit, but they just suck at it, or a straight up rug pull scam, the point is every single one I'm aware of that has launched on pink scam has failed. They failed. How can you explain this? I don't know. I'm just observing the pattern. This was on pink scam. So I already knew it was doomed to fail the moment I heard that it had been on pink scam and I saw it crap. It didn't surprise me because I knew that's what it was. It just seems to be the nature of the beast. If they do the pre-sale on their own site, those are a little better, but not always guaranteed. Liberal launched on its own site and it was reasonably successful. They just suck at what they're doing, right? <laughs> Ascent protocol eventually went to, you know, their own deal. And I think it went better. It's just that the timing was all jacked up. My point is that it didn't surprise me to see that it did this pump and dump because that's how pink scam projects seem to always go. So I never saw it. I'm sorry if it, if you were in it and this happened to you, I, I do apologize. My words of wisdom for this is if you were bought in because of an influencer telling you to buy in, that's probably number one. If you were bought in because of the number of audits, that's probably number two. And take what I just shared in terms of the fallacies, take that information for your decisioning because it's important. You cannot just blindly trust the audit. I said the fundamentals still matter at the end of the day, all of the fundamentals. That also includes who the people are and fair and accurate disclosure about who owns what tokens. Because in this case, as far as I knew, it was just tokens sold on the back end. After the liquidity locked and there was a, a dump, yes, but tokens were sold on the back end as well. And we have to question whether information was accurate given to pink scam. I don't know if it was or not. I'm saying this is, this is that educational lesson to go through. I'm going to close today's episode and I'm not going to spend significant time on this garbage because I think it's garbage. It's unfortunate garbage. I have to tell you about myself though, in order to be fair. And so that you understand that I'm unbiased in this regard. I, I have a saying and I've had this saying, uh, let's see, I think it started roughly in my twenties, but I've had this saying, which is I am not a homewrecker. I never will be a homewrecker. Have I been a homewrecker in the past? No. Were there points where I was close to being a homewrecker? Absolutely. Were there points where I probably could have if I tried? Absolutely. And I learned women in general, they fit into three main categories. Category one are the women who are, they're married, but they crave attention. Attention that they don't get from their significant other. They crave that attention. These women, in their mind, they're doing everything they can to keep their relationship healthy. They would, they actively don't want to go after any other guy, but they crave attention and they fall in. Jada Pinkett Smith, August Alistino, or whatever his name is, right? That's just the nature of who you are, right? If you can be in a relationship and you might in your mind think, I, I'm trying to keep this together, but I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I want. And that, that doesn't necessarily just mean sex. It's just, you're not getting what you want. 
there's a lot that women want. And I think when couples get married, they fail to have the conversation about what you really want. See, my first girlfriend ever, and this is a long time ago by you, my first girlfriend ever is probably the only girl that I've ever dated where I would consider taking her back now. Now, of course, I'd have to, you know, see if she kept up, but she's probably the only one that I've ever dated that I would take back because arguably we just, we got together too damn young and we never talked. That's a big problem. And we jumped into a relationship before being friends first. I think we got along well. I think we'd have been great friends. I think we just, we never talked and we never connected like we needed to. And things just, we, our breakup was a, was a peaceful freaking breakup. It just was a thing uh, near Christmas. And then she came back to see me after uh, when I was reading a horoscope out of the clear blue, it was just peaceful. It was calm. And I think she just had paranoia about the situation. It's a long story. I talked about it on casual talk. I won't bore you here. The point is there's this category of women where number one, they're, they're married, they're in a relationship, they're involved, but they crave something. There's something they're not getting. And so they're going to, they put themselves there and they try not to go too far, but things get out of hand because that craving is irresistible. You, you got to do something about it. There's the women who are married and they absolutely, they're satisfied. They got everything that they want and they're not going to step over boundaries and they're going to do whatever they're going to do. But they're married to a guy who's they've got their cravings and they're not satisfied. Right. So the female feels like she's got what she wants and she's, she's locked. She got a lock on it, but the guy in his mind is wanting something. Okay. The third are your single women. And when I say single, that's a diverse category because some of them are single by choice. Some of them are not single by choice. The vast majority of them though, vast majority of them constantly play hard to get are just tripping, whatever, unless it's a guy who happens to be the second category. They're, they're in a relationship, married or not. And that, that guy craves something. And I've learned, and I learned, you know, when I was younger, roughly in my twenties, I learned that single women that see a guy with a girl, that single girl, if, if they're cool with the guy, they're going to be tempted to try to take that guy from that girl. Just, it just, it's, it just, I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is, but I've seen it. I've seen it time and again, and it's annoying. It's freaking annoying because that's what the situation was with my first girlfriend. It's like, we're, we're together. Okay. I'm friends with her sister and had been friends with her sister long before I met this girl but we were only ever friends. Now there was an attraction on two sides. We never took it to that level for multiple reasons. But the girl who I ended up with, she was paranoid. She was always assuming that me and her were banging off the side and it didn't, you know, the sister didn't help matters with the way she was acting. You know, she would just, she would flirt after I got with her sister. She would flirt with me. She would do all this stuff she wasn't doing before. And I knew what she was doing. I knew the game she was playing. She would wear the sexiest clothes that she was not wearing. She would wear sexy clothes, but not like that, right? She just went in extreme, uh, you know, and then I knew where she lived because we're friends and I had taken her to work one day. So I had to pick her up from her place and I was the only one with a car. So when I dropped the two of them off one time and I happened to know, and when I dropped the, you know, the sister off first, <laughs> so now 
my girl's looking at me like she wants to kill me because you're like, why? How do you know where she lives? Wait a minute. Well, because I picked her up to work. It's a benign thing, but she was just paranoid. But the point is, the sister, I could tell she was jealous. She was jealous of her sister because I'm with her and not with this other. So I learned that's just kind of a pattern. It's And I don't know why. I don't know what that is. But I also learned that when this first category comes in, you got a girl and she's with a guy, usually married, and she craves something. They're going to go, they're going to go as far as they feel like they're going to go to get what they want. And if you go in there, that makes you a homewrecker, right? If you're that girl and you're trying to take somebody else's man, that makes you a homewrecker. And I said I was never going to be a homewrecker because I wouldn't want it done to me. I was never going to do it. On social media, Ben Armstrong, formerly known as BitBoy, sent out an announcement, which I, I quit. I know why he's doing it. He's doing it for engagement. I know that. I'm going to say this just like I said with Jada Pinkett Smith. It's like some shit should not be put out because it's nobody's business, number one. Number two, it actually harms sentiment. It doesn't actually help your case. It harms sentiment. It makes people look at you in a negative light. And by virtue of you being associated with certain projects, as in the one project I refused to cover because of his notoriety, you may be harming sentiment across the board because of what you're doing. And he doesn't seem to click the dots. And I know he doesn't listen to me. That's fine. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand, you know, you're trying to do this in good faith because you want to communicate with your followers. But what you're actually potentially doing is harming overall sentiment because of what it is that you're doing. You're not doing the right things. You're doing to you what you want and what you feel is the right thing to do. There's a difference between what you feel is the right thing to do and the right thing to do. And the right thing to do with this situation was to simply shut up and handle it behind closed doors. It was none of their business. You made it people's business. You put it in the public, which may harm sentiment, just like what happened with the cult leader on Satama. It's the same situation. So Ben announced that his wife served him divorce papers. I'm not going to spend time on the whole fiasco. Suffice to say, Ben has a mistress, I guess had now, a mistress who is a well-known person on social media and they had a thing. He admitted it on the air and that's what was partially called out in the whole hit network fiasco. So this divorce paper situation comes out and Ben essentially announces she started divorce papers. I'm going to be with the, the mistress. Now the mistress has been quiet, which I think is good. And, you know, and honestly, I feel bad for her because she's being put in a situation by this idiot because her name is being dragged through the mud for being associated with him. Why ever she is associated with him, why ever she got associated with him is none of any of their business. It, it doesn't, like, none of that has anything to do with the cryptocurrency market. You're just engaging. You're, you're creating engagement, drama engagement, Jerry Springer type of crap, you know, jackass the show kind of crap for engagement. That's what that is. That might not have been your intent, but that's what it is because it's none of their business. I would have been okay saying right now, because I suspect this was his intent, his real intent. I'd have been okay if he said, I'm dealing with some familial issues right now. I'm dealing with some marital issues right now. I'm going to dial off 
I'm shutting off my my social media. We'll still do the streams that we do because he does a show. We'll still do the streams. I'm not doing social media updates for the next couple of weeks or whatever while I while I let the dust settle and get this all sorted out. Okay, very generic, very benign, nothing specific. But he knew, not giving specifics, not giving the nitty gritty, not giving the dirt, quote unquote, wasn't going to give him the engagement that he sought, because this particular message has 1.8 million impressions to it and thousands of retweets and likes you know why because twitter x social media in general craves drama they gravitate towards garbage they gravitate towards nonsense they gravitate towards things that cause an uproar whether that's a yay or a dude really because he's getting both messages he knows it's all engagement Keep the name relevant. Keep the name out there. Keep the name on the forefront. It's engagement, but it's disgusting engagement. It's not the right kind of engagement. Whether you felt right doing it is not the same as whether it was right to do it. And this is one of those just like, that's why I'm not saying it's just him. Jada Pinkett Smith did the same shit. She put the business out there. And it was nobody else's business but their own. Like, keep that behind closed doors. And now he's doing the same thing that she effectively did. Now, how do you think that makes his wife, soon-to-be ex-wife, feel? Because now he's putting her business out. And she didn't deserve that. He's putting the mistress's, I'm not going to even call the name. It's not fair. He's putting the mistress's name, and she's getting drugged through the mud. She's getting drugged through the mud for associating with him. But she's also getting drugged to the mud because of how she looks, because she's a very attractive young lady. So that makes it even worse. It makes it worse because of the it's the visual, it's the assumption of the motivation behind it. That motivation being possibly money driven. And he even said this was a mistake when he admitted to the affair, this is a mistake, only to turn around and say, I'm going to be with this person. I don't really have a message for you guys because it's a disgusting situation in my personal opinion, because I, I am not that homewrecker. I am the kind of person though. And I'll say this. I am the kind of person. I have a friend that I worked with, you know, years ago, she was a supervisor in a different department. We were in the same physical uh, office suite, but she was a different department supervisor married. And she openly said, no, I got, I'm, we have, I'm, I'm happily married with this guy. I, I love this dude, loved him since high school. And she has two daughters, beautiful daughters. And, you know, she, they have a house, a ranch house out in the middle of whatever. I think he's a cop or something. But she would act in ways that I knew if I really put, if I really put effort on it, if I really put effort on it, I wouldn't even want to take her from him because I wouldn't want to take her from him. But if I had put effort into it, something could have happened. I didn't because, again, I'm not a homewrecker. That's happened at least seven times. The idea that, man, I could take that girl. If I, really, if I really want that girl, I could have her, and I've purposely not done so. Purposely not because I, I think it's disgusting. I wouldn't want it done to me, so I don't do it, which is why I'm disgusted by what he's doing because I shouldn't know what happened. None of us should. It shouldn't be out there. It has nothing to do with cryptocurrency and it may end up harming 
the sentiment of those who are buying into this cryptocurrency in good faith. That's my point. 